0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. How are we, church? Good. Hey, y'all sounded beautiful singing Blessed Assurance, so way to go. I don't know what you've been doing with your voices recently, Y'all sounded lovely. Um, we have been in this value series as, uh, as we've gone over the last several months, and this is what we've come up with so far. Maybe we can read this with us as we go together. Um, it says, we are a gospel-obsessed family of kingdom people who see generosity as our response and joy as our default. We carry the name, so our words matter, and we is greater than me. This week, what we'll be opening up is our uh, kind of the final sentence, the final three values we're going through this last few weeks. Uh, This week is compelled to create, compelled to create. Uh, But before we jump into that, I want to draw us into uh, the advent of peace, maybe just a little bit further, because it's ironic, isn't it, how we talk about peace in such a chaotic time. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but leaving the church last week, we were leaving the Connect lunch, had a great time. Katie and I were getting in the truck, and um, we just had to, you know, got to meet people, got to eat with them, and we're driving away kind of just looking at the next few weeks of our calendar, realizing like there's almost not one vacant slot for the next 20 some days until Christmas, right? And somehow there's all the shopping that still needs to happen. There's all the things that still need to be decorated. There's all the family that needs to be seen. There's like, I mean, you just kind of go down the list, all the things at church and it's beautiful and it's great. And I wouldn't miss any single one of those things, but it gets a little crazy, doesn't it? Until finally, we just sort of crash into this this silent night, a holy night and all is calm, and all is bright, right? And, and we, we sleep in heavenly peace around this little baby, which I don't know if, if, uh, if the writer of that song had an infant, uh, but some of y'all with infants know that like, there's just not a lot of silent nights at that time, you know what I mean? Steely knocked is what it was. It was written in German originally, right? And it's just like, I, I just don't know. I don't know if he ever actually had a child for himself because it just gets chaotic and it's crazy. And then we're gonna open up the next morning and it's gonna be just, it's gonna be all this good stuff, all this chaos all over again. And yet in this time, I think there are times and spaces in our worship services and our time at home for us to consider what Advent is, to step into this place in between the two arrivals of Christ, the incarnation and him finally coming to consummate all things one day. And we stand here proclaiming again, that Jesus once proclaimed that the kingdom of God is at hand. And we proclaim that now saying that it is at hand and it has come and one day it will be. And it's this amazing thing that we get to do. And I, I as we talk about peace today, and as we talk about Peace intersection with creativity, which if you're like, what? I know, it sounds weird, but I'll show you in just a little bit. I think that what we need to consider is that peace is often something that the world is trying to sell us um, that looks a certain way. I mean, Katie's alluding to it as she's just leading us through the lighting of the Advent calendar, almost like devil thought he had us for a second, right? And then she like, you know, intuition took over and she just got it. Um, Take that devil, you know, sucks to be you. Um, But the world, the world is often trying to sell us on, on on cheap imitations of things that Christ longs to instill in us, and so there's this there's this promise of peace. There's this pro, like I, okay, so let's just cards on the table. Okay, I I love Hallmark movies. Anyone else? Just if you if you got a hand, throw it in the air. If you love a Hallmark movie, uh, okay. I, I'm so proud of all the dudes that I just saw. Raise your hand right now. It just makes my heart so glad. I, I could probably watch a Hallmark Christmas movie every single day of this season. I don't even care. They're all cheesy. They're all the same, whatever. Doesn't matter to me, right? Doesn't matter to you. We still just keep on tuning in. We keep watching it. It's amazing. Um, no Sleep Till Christmas. Anybody seen it? I'm about to give some, no, wow, okay. Oh, yeah, okay, just heard some recommendations. No Sleep Till Christmas. I'm gonna give some spoilers, but guess what? You could have predicted the end as well, okay? Okay. Um, <laughs> starts off with this young gal. She's engaged to seemingly the man of her dreams. Everything seems to be perfect in her world. She's got the dream job. She's got the dream man, but there's this like undertone of chaos to her mind. Like you can just sense kind of her anxiety. She, you know, mother-in-law is trying to get a little weird about the wedding planning. And, and all of a sudden, all these details at work are starting to go sideways. And she just, she can't sleep, right? And I, I, I kid you not, Katie can vouch for this. First scene of the movie hasn't even really closed yet. And I'm like, End scene of this movie has her sleeping with another guy in a bed and she's going to sleep peacefully all night long. Sure enough, like, you know, again, spoiler alert, but this isn't wrong of me because you could have predicted that too. I'm not that special. (laughs) End scene, like I, I kind of dozed off during the movie. I wake back up, see the end scene, it's sort of panning out of her and this other guy sleeping peacefully next to each other in bed. Not the main guy, not the same guy, different guy. And I'm like, there you go. Peace. She has it. She has achieved a state of peace. She can finally sleep, right? And how many of the married people in the room just know like, like man, you maybe get that on, on night one where you sleep peacefully, but like that's that's not the that's not the overarching look of marriage, right? <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, come on, some of y'all, you've been married 40, 50, maybe 60 years in this room. You know that like, like you getting married doesn't all of a sudden complete you so that now you can sleep peacefully at night. Sometimes it's the person next to you that is causing a, a very real lack of sleep and anxiousness in your heart, right? <laughs> not us ever. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying for some of you out there, I know that's the case. <laughs> Marriage isn't going to do it. Friendships aren't going to do it. More money in your bank account isn't going to do it. Like there is something that is restless in us that just longs to have peace and we can't achieve it. And the Bible has a greater picture of peace for us. And somehow that picture of peace is tied to a little baby that is born on the outskirts of the empire in this little town named Bethlehem. And Isaiah prophesies about this. He says in Isaiah nine, starting in verse six, this is a popular Christmas verse, kind of have to use it during this season at some point or another, but it fits perfectly with today. Isaiah nine chapter six says, for to us, for to us, this, the remedy to this chaos, the remedy to this violence, the remedy to what's happening in the world, to us is a child that is born. To us, this son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Almost as if his four titles that are given in this sort of uh, all kind of culminate to or all point to the fourth one, which is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of his rule, of his peace, there will be no end. We can take heart because no other government on the world can promise us this, right? As much as we long to, and as much as it's maybe uh, like miscongeniality esque for us to ask for world peace someday. We know that no matter what ruler sits on whatever throne anywhere, we, can't, we can promise and we can ask for and we can long for this kind of peace, but only the Prince of Peace can bring it because his government is everlasting. That All the government sits on his shoulders. He is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and of the increase of his government, it knows no end. He is bringing his peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There's this promise of keep peace in the coming of Jesus. And I am just here to acknowledge today something that you already know that your soul aches for peace. And not like as Katie already alluded to, not just the absence of conflict. You think that the absence of conflict will, will instill in your heart finally this settledness or this comfort in you. But we all know that no matter what circumstances are align and are going perfectly in our life right now, we still manage to have some sense of anxiety or some sense of unsettled nerves about other things that might, may or may not even be happening around us in the world. And so it's not even about just this like, like getting all the things to just align perfectly in your life so that you can finally feel the sense of... Because as soon as you do that, you start thinking of other problems that might be happening. I mean, what, what are conspiracies other than worries about things that may or may not be happening around you? All just to stir up anxiousness, all just to stir up anxiety in you that just robs you of peace. It's just the world that we know is fluent in the language of chaos, is it not? Like it's just, the, it's just how we speak. It's just what we know. It's just what we understand. And so somehow when we read this promise of a baby who's going to be born and he's going to be called the Prince of Peace and the limits of that peace is going to know no end, that's intriguing to our souls, isn't it? See, so because we're all aware of this moment in, in, in Genesis 1, the two moments. Genesis one, where God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. To be made in God's likeness, to be made in God's image is something that's bestowed uniquely on human beings. I don't care how smart your labradoodle is. Like it's not, it's not on them as well, right? The image of God is placed onto human beings. And so we're given this representation. We're given the very character traits of God woven into our DNA. And so we're not just made in his likeness as in we need to look like him as if we looked in a mirror, we'd look the same. But when it says that we are to look like him, represent him, be like him, it's that the character attributes that represent and define who God is are instilled and wired into us. And so the biblical idea of peace is more like Genesis 1:26 and 27 than it is like a Hallmark movie, praise God. <laughs> Again, I love Hallmark movies. Don't be mad at me for that. I'm just saying there's a better picture of it from Genesis where it's male and female in harmony together, in harmony with God, in harmony with themselves, given the created order, right? They're given all of creation and they're given the raw elements of the world. And God says, take these, cultivate them, use them, put them to work, arrange them into order, make beautiful things all to represent and reflect me everywhere that you go. Take the earth and subdue it. And so this is called the, the, the cultural mandate or the creation mandate given by God to Adam and Eve. But it's this reflection that we all feel somehow deep inside of us where we just go, man, I, I, am, I am meant to take the things around me and I'm meant to create them in a way where I put them together, piece them together to reflect God's beauty and to bring his shalom into the world that we're living in. And so this is, this is why, honestly, I think that like for some, some people, I, I think in Colorado, you get a lot of this. You get a lot of people who are really spiritual, but they say, you know, I just, I really love being spiritual. I just don't really need the church. Okay, let's talk about that for just a moment. Because what you think is that, man, I can, just, I can just escape up into the mountains and that's where I encounter God. And I, listen, I think there's some truth to encountering God in the wilderness like that. I think there's some, some validity to escaping from the noise of a, the busyness of our life here and you retreat somewhere where all of that noise disappears and finally you can maybe hear God's vo- voice clearly. But to say that is to really just acknowledge that you also know in your soul that we lost something in the garden, and so you get around you and you get around you in the wilderness and you feel like God is speaking to you. It's because your soul recognizes that that's who you were created to be. I'm not, men, I'm not saying a camper, okay? Some of you are like, I, I hate camping. I wouldn't pay all that money to live like a homeless person. I say, that's hey, a good point. I say, you have a good argument there, right? But I'm saying that we as human beings were, were made to take the raw elements of sound and arrange them into melody and to make song. We were, we were made to, to dig underneath the earth and find those, that which is most precious and to bring it out and to make things that are beautiful and to adorn, and all, not to adorn ourselves, but ultimately to reflect our creator God. We were meant to take the trees and the forests and to take those raw elements and the earth around us and to sculpt places up to make not just houses, but homes that we can inhabit, places where families could dwell. Like we, we were made to, 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 to flourish as human beings, like, like God's picture of beauty is human flourishing. Not in the way that humans define flourishing, but in the way that he defines flourishing. Where we actually have these vibrant, wonderful, rich lives that are, that are made in, in perfect relationship with him, in perfect relationship with ourselves, and in perfect relationship with one another. That's shalom. It's not the picture of, of the absence of conflict. Shalom is the presence of God in a situation so that you feel complete and whole. This is what so many people in our world are missing today. They're longing to grab after peace by maybe securing a more peaceful financial situation. They're longing to grab onto peace by by finally reconciling this relationship. They're trying so hard to grab onto peace with that situation and that situation they're trying to make this thing's right, but it doesn't the conflict isn't necessarily the problem. The problem is the fact that you are alienated, estranged from God. And that will always create in you a wrestle between not knowing who you are, what you're meant to do, because God is the one who made you and God is the one who put his gifts inside of you. And you can either use those or for his glory, or you can use those in your own wicked rebellion against him. But either way, he's going to be glorified by your existence. Shalom is what the world desperately needs. This sense of completeness, this sense of restoration, this sense of whole being put back together because we recognize what we lost in the garden. I, I, the people who say, man, I'm just, I'm spiritual. I just don't want to be a part of the church. And, and they say that I can just retreat out into the wilderness. I can just get in touch with my wanderlust. I can just wander the world and I can get in touch with God that way. I can be spiritual that way. I'd say, quit pretending you live in a Genesis one world. You live in a world after Genesis three has already been written. What do I mean by that? I mean, in Genesis three, we see that that Adam and Eve fall into sin and that sin somehow infected the human genome. So now it didn't just set their relationship off course with God. All of our relationships with God are broken. We're brought forth in iniquity, David says, right? I was born with this bent towards rebellion against who Jesus is, against the way of Jesus. And what that does is it is is fractured the shalom that it's meant to exist between me and God. It's fractured the shalom that's meant to be between my fellow brothers and sisters. It's fractured the shalom that exists in me. So now I'm actually even at war within myself. I'm actually I'm anxious about this. I'm anxious about that. I'm not sure what I should do here. I'm not sure what I should do there. It's all because Genesis 3 has happened and sin has entered in the picture and it's fractured every part of the human experience. Even the creation groans for one day to be set back and restored to how God meant it to be, which always makes me wonder, what in the heaven is Long Peaks going to look like one day? Right like we're gonna sit there in heaven someday on glory shore. We're gonna look at like a sunset the way God designed it to be. And I'm like, man, there's some pretty good sunsets right now. You know what I'm saying? Well, there was a sunset the other night. Like I saw some lady, she, she pulled off the road to get a little picture with her camera. I'm like, what are you doing? That picture's never gonna represent what's actually happening in front of you. Just get your eyes up for a second. Pull over, sure, but just look. Like look at the majesty of God. Look at how good he is in creation. Look at how beautiful things are. And this is a tainted view of what it will one day be. See, because God is the most creative being that has ever existed, that ever will exist, and he has put that creativity in you. And we try to stifle what creativity is. We try to define it simply by the arts or simply by uh, creative expression. We think we gotta belong to a creative community of people who write songs or or make beautiful things or design beautiful things or artists. and, And all of that is legitimate and it's beautiful and it's wonderful so long as that we're using those gifts to reflect the goodness and character of God, not just to get glory for ourselves, amen? And at the same time, the world doesn't just need beautiful artistic expressions. The world needs the shalom, peace of God brought back to it. Amen. So here's the good news is that when Jesus comes on the scene, we read this verse already, John 14, 27, Jesus himself says, peace, I leave with you. Peace, my peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give. It's not the same as what's going on in the world around you. It's not the circumstances. It's not the situations that the world is offering to you today. It's Jesus sitting here today, even for some of you, maybe who don't have a relationship with him. Jesus brought you into this place today, I believe, to say there's peace that's available to you. Your your heart, your whole being, your soul can finally be put at rest because it's not just the peace of some preacher that's being offered today. It's the peace of Jesus himself, the prince of peace, the creator of peace, is here today to say, it's my peace that I give to you. Yeah. Let not your hearts be troubled, troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is offering his peace today. New Testament writers, Paul will go on to write about the peace of God like this. He says, therefore, in Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. So what you can do today is what you can choose to do is you can enter into this paradoxical approach to freedom right? The world says, if you want to get freedom, you just have to express who you are authentically you. You got to be authentically, just true to yourself, true to your truth. But what the Bible is going to say is that if you want to be freedom, it's found in submission to Christ. It's found in submission to the spirit. It's found in laying your autonomous free will down at the feet of Jesus and saying, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And when you make that statement, when you surrender to him, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, when you come to Jesus, when you lay everything down at his feet and you say, God, I'm wholly yours. I belong to you. What happens in that instant is the righteousness of Christ is now bestowed upon your spiritual bank account. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Golly, that's some amazing things. Some of you can even just rest on thinking about some of the things that you did, some of the things that happened this week. And we can say, you're not held accountable to that. You're held accountable to the cross of Jesus Christ and what he has paid for you. Praise God. Praise God since we've been justified by faith, what do we have? What's one of the first benefits? What's one of the first fruits that Paul points us towards is we have the peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, he goes on to say it this way, for he himself is our peace, who he he has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. So we are justified and we have peace with God. We also are justified now. And the, the dividing wall of hostility between brother and sister, brother and brother, sister and sister, it's all been erased because of the cross of Christ. And now we are one new person. We are now the church of Jesus. And we can have this hostility erased because the peace of God has come in and his righteousness has been given to all of us. So we all of us come into this room today needing the same grace standing in here because we are in the same desperate need of the same savior. And so we now get to have peace between one another. But yeah, we might, I might think differently than them. I might look differently than you, socioeconomically, politically, racially, however you want to create dividing lines that the culture creates. Jesus says, nope, I've broken down those dividing walls of hostility. And there is one new man and woman. There you go. You get, you get lumped in there as well. <laughs> Husbands have to deal with being the, the, like the bride of Christ, right? I mean, we all, have, we all have these different roles we have to take on. Colossians chapter one, after Paul establishes the preeminence of Christ, the, the just great majestic awesomeness of who Jesus is, he's the firstborn of all the creation. Everything is created by him, for him, through him, to him are all things created. And then he says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And again, we stand looking at this Advent calendar. We stand in the already not yet. We know the peace of Jesus is made available to us by what he's done on the cross. And we know that it is only just a foretaste of his glory divine, as we just sang. That one day there's gonna be this shalom again. One day there's gonna be this restoration, this this perfect remedy to all the problems, all of the pains of this world will one day pass away and be forgotten as we inhabit a new heaven and a new earth where Jesus has remade and rebrought his shalom back into his world. So much so to the point that in Revelation, I'm just always shocked when I see it, that, that the new city, when we look at the new Jerusalem, what, what is lacking in that picture? A gate, a wall, there's no, there's no need for protection against danger. It's not just the glory of the Lord that inhabits it and somehow the glory of the Lord replaces the need for a sun and a moon. I mean, that, we can just acknowledge that's pretty sweet, isn't it? But all of these mechanisms for defense are somehow gone because Jesus has finally forever and fully brought his peace back into the world. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so our role, my sermon in one sentence, is that if you don't have the peace of God today, you can have the peace of Jesus that's available to you. And once you have that peace, our role as Christians is to begin ushering in, ushering in the peace of God through the gifts that he's already given to you. So our creative expressions that we get to bring into this world are, are being brought into, they, they, are, they are, like we get to ask this distinct question of where is there chaos and how can I bring peace? Do you think about it that way? Uh, you know, I, I think it, when I first started approaching this conversation of creativity, and if you've been around church here for a little bit, we talk about this a lot. I mean, we talk about this, I feel like all the time. It's why it's one of our family values, right? We talk about this creative minority, that we're this remnant that, that's called to like live on this, uh, like have this redemptive imagination for the world we're living in. We're longing to create into the world something that we don't see yet because we know that it's a part of the world to come, not just looking at the world as it is. And so we're longing to sort of use our giftedness, but, but I think it's so often, like I said, it gets reduced down to, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not a songwriter. I'm not a poet. I'm not an artist for sure. Like, I mean, this, this like light thing that's going on in the hallway, you know what I mean? These mirrors, you could have given me a year of my entire life and no focus, no kids. Like I could have just tried. with all my. I could have never done that ever, right? Praise God for like the creative team for doing some of the things they do around here. Like I'm just, I'm shocked at the level of creativity to, to design digital art and to make videos and to make spaces, environments look beautiful. It's amazing. But don't for a second limit yourself to thinking that if that's not your creative gifting, that you are not creative. Business leaders have to be creative gosh, there's troubleshooting in how you're managing your employees, how you're balancing personalities, how you're driving towards goals, how you're giving vision, how you're how you're doing all these different things. You're balancing all these things. It takes creative ingenuity. Creative ingenuity, by the way, that God has placed in you so that you can be the person to solve the problems that are ahead of you right now at your job. It's fourth quarter. It's end of the year. You're feeling the weight. You have people to please. You have You have goals to hit still by the end of the year. Praise God, listen to me. God has given you his creative giftedness with the spirit of God so that you can solve problems and so that you can lead people around you into the flourishing life of Christ. Oh, I don't work at a job. I'm a stay-at-home mom. You stay-at-home mom. Golly, you have little souls that have been entrusted to you that you have to spend way more time with than you probably ever bargained for. Amen? And you're somehow cultivating this creative, beautiful environment where you can help them learn, help them learn about Jesus, help them love each other well, help them not kill each other at some times. And you have to get creative in how you're solving different problems. And you're all trying to create this ecosystem where the Holy Spirit can just flood your home so that one day you can bring them into the life that Jesus is offering them. Just to stay at home, mom. That's one of the, I mean, that's one of the greatest privileges there is on planet, on planet Earth. Like you, are, you are driving little souls towards eternity. Praise God for you. I'm just a student. I'm just young. What do you, like, what do you mean? You have such an opportunity with your peers around you. What, what, what would it look like if you didn't give just like 50% effort with the group project? Yeah, I, I know for some of you, you're like straight A students and whatever. It's just easy for you. What it, but what if you actually like poured everything you could into your research project so that you could learn, so you could grow in wisdom and in stature so that one day you can do whatever it is that God puts in front of you, whatever opportunity comes your way. You can take it because you have the GPA, you have the volunteer hours, you have the extracurricular activities, you've been pouring out your creative giftedness, whatever it is, however it is that God has wired you. You have you have let all those things get into you so that you can just pour them back out, learn, grow, develop, hone in on on a different craft, all so that you can just answer the call of God, whatever it has, so that you can keep making beautiful things for the glory of Jesus wherever you go from here. It doesn't matter where you are. You're an accountant, make a beautiful spreadsheet. You're a plumber. Design houses that are better than the previous plumber before you. Come up with different solutions. All of these different things, we can, like, we can keep pushing the envelope forward so that we can say, no, human beings were meant to flourish. And they were meant to flourish with a relationship with God. And so I'm gonna pour myself out as excellently as possible. I'm gonna hone in my craft, whatever gift that God has given me, because every single giftedness in this room is different. But I'm gonna give myself over to it, not so that I can receive all the glory for my own name, not so that I can get all these different things strapped onto my title or strapped onto my benefits or strapped onto anything else, but so that I can actually, I can actually represent Christ well wherever I'm at. And I can bring forth his ingenuity, his creativity. I can, I can just pour it out because, because the world needs beautifully redemptive solutions right now. It doesn't just need good human ideas. It doesn't just need good philosophies to solve what we're up against right now. No, we need, the, we need the image and the characteristics of God steeped inside of us, poured out of us so that we can see the world re-Edened as God intends for it to be. So whether that's a marriage that's busted up, man, God longs to bring shalom into your marriage. I don't care where it's at right now. I don't care what it looks like right now. God wants to bring that peace. You have a prodigal, you have a kid who's wayward. Don't give up hope. God wants to bring his shalom peace into your household. We can't, we can't lose sight of this. We can't lose sight of what the Genesis 1 world looked like because it's what it's going to look like one day to come. And so we have to keep pressing on, compelled by the Spirit of God to create what He is creating through us into the world that we're living so that we might bring His peace. N.T. Wright, really famous New Testament scholar, wrote the book, Surprised by Hope. And I want you just to kind of chew on these sentences from the back half of that book. He says, art at its best draws attention, not only to the way things are, but also to the way things will be when the earth is filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. You know what that just like, that inspires me to just like try, like, I just think Christians should have the most beautiful, holy imaginations that the world has ever seen. Like there should be laughter in your place of work. There should be laughter in your home. There should be joy. Like you should be trying new recipes, trying to put flavors together. You should be trying to do different things at your workplace, trying things financially, trying things like all these different places. We, we should have these imaginations that just don't relent. They don't quit because we have this vision, this, this hope to see the world, not as it is, but knowing that there, the knowledge of God is gonna cover the earth as the water covers the sea. And that's what I'm building towards all of that remains a surprising hope. And perhaps it will be the artists who are best at conveying both the hope and the surprise. He goes on to say later, we are committed to describing the world not just as it should be, not just as it is, but as God's grace alone, one day it will be. Whatever giftedness you have by the spirit of God, wherever he's placed you, you might not believe that you have much purpose. You might not believe that you have much hope. And I would just politely disagree with you this morning. That God has gifted you, he's saved you, he's placed you. You're not in whatever job you're in because it's just some dead-end job and you just can't wait to get to the next thing. No, he's placed you on purpose in that space, in that season, to bring his goodness and his glory and his peace into that right now, wherever you are. i, I, I wrestled this week with whether whether the word compelled was right. I was like, wait, okay, God, is this... Compelled to create, it's like this compulsion. Is that right? Like it feels such, like such a carnal thing. It feels like such a fleshly thing. But then I was reminded of this verse in Acts 20, 22. It's Paul speaking, saying, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained or bound or compelled by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. You know what the following verse is? It's like and tri- imprisonment and trial awaits me. He, he, he knows, but he, he doesn't know. He kind of knows what's going to happen. He's going to get beat up. He's going to get mocked. He's going to get thrown in jail. But he's like, I still like, listen, I'm, I'm constrained by the spirit of God to go. He's constrained by the spirit of God to go tell about the story of Jesus to accomplish the heart of the father. So it is with you and with me. All of us should see our life, wherever you are right now, in whatever age or stage, I, I know, like, gosh, I heard about the Empty Nesters group last night. Uh, like, Brady talked about that a few weeks ago. That stage of life, it sounds incredible. It sounds amazing. Like we're so far from that. And I'm enjoying our, all of our time with our little kids right now. But like, looking at this video from the Empty Nesters group, like y'all just sat around in a big circle in there and past presence. And it's just like, it's like, man, glory, glory to God. Amen. Like, wow, one day, one day. I'm just so aware of in this room right now, there are so many different seasons of life represented. Like I see some of y'all, you're 10. Praise God. Like you have, you have so much ahead of you right now. Some of you, you're probably, you may be aware of the fact that I might have less than 10 left. Like that's real. Every single person in the room, I hope we're asking the question, Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Where do you want to use me today? I thought to end this service today, we have like five, six minutes left thought I'd just kind of lead us through some time where we can just sit and we can ponder and we can invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. And so if you would, just even like right where you're at, would you just, would you just sit there? Maybe if you, if something is really like, you feel like it's resonating with you, you can posture your hands right in front of you. But I think if we all just like quieted our hearts for just a moment, if we could just say, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit in this moment and speak to us. It's not my words that you need to hear. It's, it's the voice of God that we need to hear this morning. God, we are your sheep and your sheep will know your voice. And so Holy Spirit, come, speak, have your way. I pray right now for the people who who can acknowledge that they're missing peace. It's just missing. Shalom is not the way they can describe their heart. The only way they can describe their heart is by chaos, by anxiety, frustration, languishing, And for that person right now, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would come and would you touch them and would you give them a peace that surpasses understanding? In other words, meaning you don't understand how the situation would give you peace, but yet somehow the presence of God right now in this moment is providing you with his peace. That even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're not going to fear anything because he is with you. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come maybe for the people who have never encountered your peace before, who have never given themselves over to you. I pray that they would enter into the paradox of Christianity today, where their freedom is found in submission to you. And we can just have the, the honest conversation this morning with you, Jesus, to say, I'm tired of solving this on my own. I'm tired of trying to handle this with my own might, Jesus. I lay myself down at your feet. Holy Spirit, would you come? And God, for the people who have experienced your peace now, as we've encountered your peace, as you've come into the room and as you're, starting to, as you're starting to put wholeness and completeness back into our souls this morning, I pray that you'd give us an imagination for the chaos around us. I think every single person in this, in this room right now, if you could just kind of imagine, imagine where you're gonna be this week where there's going to be chaos, where there's gonna be anger, where there's gonna be frustration, calamity. Let's ask this question. God, where can I bring your generosity? Where can I bring your generosity into the world around me so that I might bring peace? Can I get creative with my calendar this week and spend some time with somebody who's lonely? Holy Spirit, is there somebody at my workplace that I can bless, that, that isn't experiencing your shalom, but I, but I have something that I can give to them? I have something that I can offer. I can give them a listening ear I can give them a timeout at lunch. I can give them a meal. I can show up. God, how can I bring your peace? God, is there something I can cultivate with my family this week, with my kids, even though they're crazy and they fight each other all the time, they bicker and they whine. Can I somehow put them at the dinner table for just a moment? Can we talk about you, Jesus? Holy Spirit, come. Give us a redemptive imagination. Help us see the places and spaces where we're going to inhabit this week and help us Long. Help us be bound by the Spirit of God to creatively imagine a different way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read this value for you guys real quick. Compelled to create, we wrote it this way. We know that God is the most creative being ever, and we are made in his likeness, and so we are compelled to create. And so we desire to tell and retell the beauty of God through spaces, songs, and stories. From parents to plumbers to paralegals. Don't you like that? The peas. My dad's a plumber too, so it you know, just kind of made sense. Parents, plumbers, paralegals. Every vocation and calling is called to steward what God has given and create beauty in the world, in the chaos of this world. Since God is always doing something new, there is always something new to create. Design acts as a bridge between the church and the world, and so it matters what we make. People will see us before they hear us, and so our gatherings will be inviting, inspiring, compelling, and excellent. We wanna be storytellers and we wanna share the stories that God is doing in our house. Our community and our workplaces are empty canvases for redemptive imaginations to be unleashed. Amen, church? Let's stand, let's pray. God, thank you for the time to gather in your house today. Thank you for worship. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people, God. I pray that Holy Spirit, you would have done something real in us this morning. I pray that that time in prayer wouldn't have just been quiet time. (laughs) Would it have been so much more than that, Jesus? Would it have been a time where you spoke to us? God, remind us that we can do that with you anytime we want this week. I pray that we wouldn't just come to church for a meal on Sunday, but that we would eat and we'd feast and we'd long to be in the presence of God all week long. Jesus, we love you and we need you. Help us to be a light in the world we live in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. (laughs)